Craft Beer Radio, episode 250, recorded on May 25th, 2013. We are here at Shoe Brew, and we're doing, we're doing our vertical epic tasting. We have a stone vertical epic from 03 all the way up to 2012. And we're here with uh, our host, Zach Shoemaker. Is it Shoemaker or Shoemaker? Shoemaker. 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 And uh, Zach is opening a brew pub. It was supposed to be opened um, two months ago, but isn't that was the original plan apparently? Yeah. So and uh, and Patrick's Day weekend was the original plan, but there's uh, nothing that's been easy to this point, so it's just gotten drug out, and here we are in what is it? Almost uh, June. It sounds. If it's any consolation, that's a pretty standard restaurant opening timeline. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so Shubru was a Kickstarter campaign. And you guys were financed. And uh, just give us, give the listeners a brief overview of what Shubru will be. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially, I kind of had the idea. I, I lived in San Diego. I was in the Marine Corps and had gotten really kind of just wrapped up in the whole craft beer scene that was out there. Um, and there was a, a time whenever I was, while I was in the Marine Corps, where they had audited my paychecks going back to like my first four years of of duty and had found that they were overpaying me by like 50 bucks a paycheck for four years and then plus interest and inflation and whatever else they decided to add on it they were like okay well now all of a sudden you owe us all of this money back all at once and being in the marine corps you don't make a whole lot of money to begin with so it was like okay well this is pretty much impossible to give you guys like five thousand bucks out of pocket so I wanted to get a part-time job. So I went and I applied, and I became a dishwasher at Stone whenever they opened up their bistro. And, like, working for Stone... I'm sorry. It's the Stone World Bistro and Gardens. Right. Greg was very clear on what that is. <laughs> yes, they're, they're very specific at Stone. Um, so I'm, like, dishwashing at Stone and... At Stone World Bistro and Gardens, rather. And having a hell of a time. Actually, it sucked. But it was cool because I was getting cheap beer and really good beer, and th their environment is set up as such where it doesn't matter if you're the janitor, the dishwasher, the head brewer. Like, everybody there is really, really emphasized on making sure that you are serious about the beer industry. I mean, that was just on my interview. They didn't ask me, like, do you have dishwashing experience? It's like... Do you like craft beer? Like, if so, what kinds and things like that. So it was pretty cool. I mean, just having having that um, sort of environment to work in. And I got out of the Marine Corps and I moved home. And I was like, wow, we were still at a time where Pittsburgh really only had the Rivertown and Monroeville at the time. Um, and I think Church Brew Works. Of course, Penn has, had been there for a long time. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot other than that. And I was like, damn, like... The whole West Coast, which I'd become accustomed to the last four years, is is swamped with these brew pubs. I want to do something like this, and I met Erica at Verizon when I was uh, still I'm still working there, and she was like, "Yo, I don't know why you don't just do this." I'm like, "Well, I don't know. I don't really have the brewing experience or whatever." So I started home brewing, and one thing led to another, and just decided like I really hate my job, and I want to pursue brewing because it's going to be a way may not be easier lifestyle, but definitely something more rewarding for, for me and uh, hopefully for her. And we just wanted to kind of bring that. So we're coming to, to now get into the point where we're answering the question, finally. Um, yeah, so we're going to bring local craft beers, and I wanted to just 
part of part of my brewing system was set up based upon how much capital we had. So we wanted a very small system, but I, I do like the flexibility that, that brings me. Like I can constantly just make what I want, and if I you know want to add in different ingredients or things I've never played with before, like it's not a total loss if I screw up a batch, and you know it's it's a hundred dollars as opposed to where yeah if I was started off brewing on like a seven barrel system I mean that's a few thousand dollars and it really limits my creativity so I started brewing small and that's kind of where we are right now I'm just brewing my ass off right now and brewing 15 gallon batches back to back and you know four in a day um, and so that's that's the beer side of things and as far as the food side of things go we really just wanted to try to, to focus on local foods and all natural foods not necessarily like organic foods or anything like that but things that as much as we can source locally as possible and um, everything made fresh daily so we're not going to have anything frozen nothing processed um, you'd asked me about the, the freezer before about the noise it was making whatever I said I could unplug it that's because the only thing in our freezer and probably ever will be in our freezer are my hops Aside from that, we don't plan on freezing foods and serving things that are previously made. I mean, everything we're going to do from scratch, pizza dough, down to our meats we're getting from, like, a local smoke shop. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're going for. Okay, well, let's introduce uh, everybody to the rest of the people inside the room. Uh, don't worry about remembering names because I won't remember them either. So, let's go. I'm Tim, and I publish Craft Pittsburgh Magazine. And Andy, who is across the table from me, is actually chasing my palette. Yes. That's, that's my occupation. I chase Tim Russell's palette. I bring him beer, and when he rejects it or dumps it in front of me, <laughs> I put my tail between my legs and cry myself to sleep at night. So it's sort of a roadrunner type thing where, you know, you, you paint a little palette on, on, on a cliff and you have him just run into it? That, that's an excellent likeness. Well, yes. you, yeah, you need nice. to know Andy a little bit better, right? Because when he brings you a homebrew, okay. he says, this beer sucks. You know, he he um, he recently he says it's to you know get better reviews than you know to set the ex- expectations lower, um, but you know the beers I had today from Andy were were, were pretty good. So uh, Andy's a home brewer that may or may not be having things in the works to change that status. And uh, Tim, you also uh, thing in the PG the other day you're opening a distillery. Yeah. Um couple years now I've been working on it it's to the point now I have the equipment in the place um, licensing and all that's in the works so hopefully by the end of the summer but you know we know how those things go but uh, yeah I just want to focus on making rum and brandy so I'm bringing local to the area something that you know people in Pennsylvania don't really have access to through the state system you have American made rum and brandies pure sugar cane uh, I haven't decided yet either a, a pure sugar cane or something uh, a dark brown sugar heavy molasses kind of gives you two different results you can have a the cane gives you a more of a floral herbal rum like a west indy style whereas something with molasses would give you some a little more sweeter okay That's interesting so we got andy kwatowski homebrewer extraordinaire yes you've been brewing for what three years or so yeah about three and a half years now but you really caught the bug yeah and you're a prolific homebrewer 200 batches at least probably more than that i don't even like keep track anymore that's that's me and uh there may be news in the future about andy and we got mike Beatty here well we have another person who wants to stay off mike um who is friends of andy's no No. there is the lady that shall remain nameless and we got mike Beatty. 
president of Trash Homebrewers Club, I believe you don't have any professional expectation or aspirations to go brewing. And no, no, I, 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 I have too great a normal job to to really be a, an aspiring brewer. Uh, so I just continue to be an amateur and a, a home brewer and uh, involved in all sorts of different beer related activities around the city. I think it's just like me, right? They, they pay you a lot to play on computers, and that's fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not going to be a pro brewer anytime soon either. <laughs> All right, so the reason we're here is for Vertical Epic. And uh, we're going to start with the O3. I think probably the way to do this is let's all taste it, come up with an opinion, and then we'll come back and talk about it, right? Instead of trying to and taste and with seven, eight people here, it's going to be a real mess. So what do you think, Greg? Okay, sounds good. So this was 2003 Vertical Epic, which... Uh, is a Belgian strong dark ale that it's spiced. Uh, according to the the home, they give a homebrew recipe for each of the brews. And it's slightly different than the brew recipe, but it gives you enough to give you an idea. Uh, and this is pale two row unmalted wheat, special B and chocolate wheat malt for the malts. It's hopped with warrior and centennial hops, spiced with coriander and alligator pepper, and it uses uh, Wheat Labs 500 Abbey for the yeast and it doesn't really come through as very belgian i think and i think that's the sort of consensus of the group is that it had a little bit of oxidation on it so it really came through with a, a slight bit of cardboard but really a lot of those deep uh deep plum deep raisin character yeah i think uh you know the first sip was where you tasted like you smelled it like oh it doesn't smell that oxidized i was expecting worse because you know this beer wasn't in the refrigerator for the last 10 years um but it didn't smell too bad and then for the flavor the first sip it's like oh yeah it is kind of oxidized but i got used to it and as i got into it it tasted like an old ale barley wine type thing it, the belgian had really fallen off there might have been a little bit of of spicy texture to it but it really didn't taste like alligator pepper or grains of paradise type yeah i felt stuff. like i could taste the pepper but i don't know if i would have been able to pull it out if you hadn't if i hadn't known it was there right so let's go around the room what do you think yeah does anyone have uh, any opinions yeah it was definitely didn't seem like a Belgian all in all that character is just more of a barley wine old ale um like you said plumminess um, a lot of raisin but cardboard too so it's clear some clearly some oxidation in there yeah, anyone else have any uh, is a 10 year old beer so yeah that will happen yeah I think it was a almost a little bit uh chocolate in the aroma and I kind of get some bright fruity spicy kind of things from the grains of paradise as it sits a little bit but yeah it's it's really thin too surprisingly i don't know if that's because of the age but it was a little thinner body than what i would expect from that kind of beer all right i guess that's uh that's it let's go on to the four 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 oh four vertical epic 20-04 is a belgian strong pale ale this one was brewed with kefir lime leaf which led it to an interesting road i think it probably didn't age as well as they may have expected to jeff thoughts uh the kefir lime leaf you know greg played a game at the beginning named that adjunct and um both zach and i were thinking orange peel lemon peel not quite lime leaf but still a citrusy thing and then as soon as you mentioned lime leaf people were like oh yeah i get it so it's it's was it the power of suggestion or was it an appropriate direction into something that you wouldn't consider in a, you know, I didn't expect anybody to pick it out. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, 
standard. You know, I expected to go citrusy, and people were definitely picking up citrus. It was but, another Belgian style beer from Stone, very old Belgian style beer that really didn't carry much Belgian character. It was another old ale, another barley wine to me. I don't know if I'd agree with you. I, it had a, a good amount of sweetness. It had a lot of viscosity, the stuff that I normally would expect out of those Belgians. Uh, what interested me is that they, they have some tasting notes here where they said that they get some Bavarian Hefe-style phenolic banana esters. And, and while I, I think that they were, they were there, what happened is the, the leaf totally overwhelmed everything in, in, the, in the nine years. And it just became kind of almost oppressive on the tongue to me. So, unfortunately, I don't think that, that kefir lime leaf, at least in, in this formulation, works out well for aging. Any uh, thoughts, Tim? Um, yeah, I kind of agree with what you were saying. One thing I just picked up, maybe it's the kefir, the kefir lime leaf. When I take a really deep whiff of this, I get almost mint. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a leaf, leaf's similar, so... I imagine that are similar compounds, similar aromatics. And, uh, you know, tie that in just a little bit. You know, some of the mint I'm growing at home isn't super minty. It's a lot more herbally, you know, things like that. So, you know, thinking of the mint you get at the grocery store, which is like crazy mint, like bubblegum mint versus the mint that grows in your backyard, yeah. you can kind of see where it's more of the, the latter in that flavor. Hey, Mike, do you have anything to say? Nothing. Uh, nothing really to add. It's just that um, it's it's. I don't get a lot of the Belgian, a lot of the yeast characteristics that you would normally expect out of a Belgian. The kefir lime leaf definitely stands out. Once you mention it, you you can kind of say, oh yeah, that's what that is. Um, then that's definitely there. There's some maltiness. There's there's a little bit of oxidation, which is totally expected for a beer this old. But uh, interesting. Glad I got a chance to try it. I liked it. I thought at the end, uh, you know, it was a little bit oxidized, and I think it got kind of like a sweet lime, like a candied lime almost. Kind of like something I get like from like late hopping. It's very interesting, but yeah, it was, I thought it was better than the uh, 03 in my personal opinion, but definitely no Belgian characteristics. There were no esters or Bavarian clove, Hefeweizen-like things they were saying on. They compared it to a, a beer de garde, and I didn't I mean, I got some mustiness, but I thought that was more oxidation than anything beer to guard related. Yeah, they, on one of their description, they would compare it to a strong beer to guard or saison esque, and I think that's twenty out four talking, not yeah, not because now they should it, they, they know used to have on their website like tasting notes on like like every six months they would do yes tastings they, on yes it. they have them so, so is there a recent tasting notes for this one? Yeah. All right, we're rolling. There's going to be a weird, awkward splice there because the memory card memory card got full. It was about the point where I had asked Erica about the food she was preparing. Um, we're actually doing a candied bacon and then a mushroom risotto, so should be tasty. Might be good with some of these beers. I don't know which one, so you guys are probably better at determining that, but... I think the risotto would have went well with this one, actually, because it would have... The, the citrus notes... Uh, that uh, Mike and I noticed were a little bit kind of overpowering. I think you know, you and I both said that there was like the lemon was a kind of close to preserved lemon almost in a way, something like that. But it was uh, something overripe. But um, you asked me, Jeff, to look up the tasting notes. the The latest taste notes they have is from a tasting four years later, four years and six months later, 
on uh, 2008, and so, they all so they loved didn't it. really keep up with their promise of tasting that beer every six months, <laughs> did they? <laughs> they all loved it. They absolutely loved it. Every every single one of them absolutely loved it. So not surprised. Four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was the four four four. Now we go on to the five five five. Around. The other ones we drank really quickly. Yeah, right. And this one we all kept around. See, uh, I didn't keep this one around. I mean, so, so we just finished the yeah. 555, and Greg was making the comment that, you know, there's still beers left in these glasses, and everyone else was finished. See, this one, my glass is empty. I really like this one. You know, it was uh, big malty. It uh, ha- had a nice full mouthfeel. I'm kind of like forgetting what I was tasting. So. Uh, Aside, save me, Greg. Save me. Okay, so aside from candy sugar, there were no adjuncts in this. Um, no spices added, nothing like that. This is a, another strong, dark Belgian. Um, at least that's how, what they call it. As to whether it qualifies still as a Belgian, that's an open question going around the room. It had um, uh, it ended kind of hot and dry, so you, the alcohol is a lot more apparent than in the O3. Uh, and there was definitely a little bit of aging on it, but some nice kind of chocolate stuff at the end. Yeah, and if we were uh, comparing this one to the O3, this one tasted a lot fresher, right? The O3 yeah. definitely had some staling in the flavor, where this one, I didn't notice it nearly as much. And uh, really, you know, if I'm looking for a, a good, tasty old ale, you know, this is kind of right where I'm looking. This is pretty, pretty good for, you know, a good old ale. I but yeah, agree. I mean, again, they're calling it a Belgian, right? Yeah. And all that Belgian character, all those big esters and whatnot, they just seem to have fallen out of the beer. I'm not noticing them so much. I'm noticing the malt and the booziness. I think they're there if you try to pick them out, but they're not really readily apparent. Anyone have any opinions they want to share? Raise your hand. Well, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, in large part, I think uh, kind of the carbonation has been absent in all these beers, and that would definitely bring esters to the forefront. So I think they're kind of... If you had carbonation, I think you would taste them, but they're, I don't know what that is. That's very strange that they are just completely absent. And this is also extremely dry. I can't believe how dry it is. Yeah, I agree with Andy. It's a dry beer. It's, when I first had it, when it was first poured, I thought to myself that, you know, we're now getting closer to where this series has peaked, whereas the first two were obviously past their prime. And this one tastes more as, as it's described. And again, as it's a dark Belgian strong, it, uh, I, I, this one tasted like that more than the others, but now as it warms up, it's getting back to that old ale, more of a barley wine, you know, with darker fruits. So it's it's changed a lot since it was first poured, you know, what five five or ten minutes ago. Well, um, any other thoughts? We're not going to force you so, to speak, so but far, if you want, this to. has been my favorite of the the series that we've tasted so far, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the same thing as a lot of people. I picked up the prominent flavor, uh, or flavors, I guess, is I'm picking up tons of dark fruit flavors and alcohol, um, which is fine. Like, I don't mind tasting alcohol in a beer. I know a lot of people prefer that that to be kind of, like, undertoned or whatnot, but I, I like the flavor, and um, it comes out well. It, uh, maybe some of that I don't know is due to the uh, the Belgian candy sugar because I know in the in the O three which is probably the most similar to this that we've had so far that one had had uh, some wheat in it if I'm not mistaken is that right yes and this one doesn't so aside from the the chocolate pale uh, wheat 
So a lot of that could be the difference there, but I, the, so far this has been my favorite, which I just I, I actually drank it slower than the others because I wanted to savor it more than just, uh, you know, not that I wanted to get rid of any of them, but I drank it slower on purpose. All right, so now we're up to 2006. Hope you're ready for more Belgian Strong Dark Ale. Seems like a pattern. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the 06... Vertical pale ale. As you can see, things are starting to <laughs> descend as they should. Well, we're eating. Yeah, we have some bacon with us too. Zach and Erica made some candied bacon for us. Good stuff. So, this, so the 06 was another Belgian uh, strong dark, but it was really interesting because it had um, had lots of really interesting flavors that came out of it that you wouldn't necessarily expect because this was not smoked and it tasted smoked. It did not was not on wood and it tasted like it was on wood or something. Was, there was I lots of really interesting things going on. This is a case where you get certain components that are more familiar in other things, right? These were phenols that taste like wood smoke. Yeah. But these weren't wood smoked malts. Pale two row dark wheat carafe special two, which is probably the first time carafe special two was available. When this came well, out. we were mentioning that too. And, that this uh, was probably pretty experimental because back in 2006 was like the the birth, the origins of uh, black IPAs, the carafe two, which is the debittered um, black malt, where you get all the color but not much of the stout flavor from it. So, uh, any thoughts from around the peanut gallery? No, again, I agree. It's, um, Everyone has a mouthful of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just swallowing my food real quick. But, um, if you'd put in front of me and say, hey, how's this Rausch beer? I'm like, yeah, that's a good Rausch beer. But, um, yeah, really smoky. I'm surprised that you know, it's not in there. Officially. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a combination of the, uh, like you mentioned, like the you know, the cedar and the phenols from the the yeast that gave it a really good smoky character. To me, it just reminded me more of kind of like a oxidized smoke porter almost in terms of flavor. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it was um, similar to a smoked porter, except, I mean, it's still, I could taste the alcohol presence in there. Uh, not quite as much as the previous, I don't know if... They're even calling them like uh, the release, <laughs> I guess, the previous release. But, vintage. Uh, yeah, the vintage, right? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it came out, it, it, it was pretty, uh, it held up well to age, I guess, comparatively to uh, a couple of the, the previous ones, but also it was a lot younger of a beer. Uh, so it's hard to judge, but it was it was a pretty good, pretty good beer in my opinion. And I don't know if we mentioned this before, but I think we talked around the table about how we're, we're probably starting to, get, to hit the peak of where the beers are going to be really good, they're going to be aged really well, uh, and have you know really good quality. Yeah, I, th I think we're going to see. Well, I don't know about the front end of this curve, but you know, I'm thinking a bell curve where if beers are meant to be aged, right, we're going to hit a peak. You know, much like we talked about earlier about like a, a vertical Bigfoot tasting or whatnot. You know, about five years, they're awesome, and before that, you know, younger beers are a little hoppy, older beers get a little stale. It'll be curious to see how. Stone manages that, right? Because you would think Stone is not making their 2012 Vertical Epic to be aged for five years because everyone's going to be doing these tastings now. So they really should have made a beer that's made to be drank fresh. 
and it'll be curious to see how they did because I haven't had a 2012 yet. I'm not sure if anyone on the table has. No, I, I haven't had a 2012 either, but um, it will be interesting. I can definitely see this beer coming in. You can see the the series of beers coming into its prime, and I was actually around for the um, for the Bigfoot t- uh, vertical that we did several years back, and and I and I distinctly remember there was you know very very early on you have you have a lot of beer. It was old. It was oxidized. The hops had really faded, and then and then at some point you hit a peak. And uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to kind of figuring out where the peak is here. It'll be it'll be a little bit harder because these are all different beers, but uh, but it should be interesting. All right, all right. so we're going to move on to 07. 07 was uh, a Belgian strong pale. Uh, it was one of the first times they also started to do a barrel aged versions. They have a red barrel aged version. This is going to be a, just a non. Okay, so this version. is a regular version. But also, it's worth noting that five years, just generally, is a really good aging. For, for lots of vintages of beers. So we're getting into the point where staling isn't a huge concern if you don't have a perfect seller for. So that'll be interesting too. Okay, 07 coming up. <laughs> Our thoughts on the 777. It was a, a big fruity cocktail of a beer. It has ginger, it has cardamom, grapefruit peel, orange peel, lemon peel. It's basically sort of a pale triple. Um, Strong about eight uh, again about eight point five eight point seven percent. Interesting flavors, lots of you know tropical stuff coming in there with that grapefruit. Uh, yeah, the more I drink of it, the more it's like it reminds me of one of my favorite cocktails. I'm trying to remember what it, it's called, but it's it's rum or coconut rum uh, with uh, lots of grapefruit juice and a little bit of cranberry juice on top. And Great Is that what it's called? I, I believe so. It's, it's you can drink eight of them and you won't taste the alcohol and then you yeah before you, know, you told me them. what uh, you know was added to this beer it, it seemed phenolic you know that's where my brain went you know like trying to figure out what I was tasting and then when you told me grapefruit I'm like and it wasn't like the hoppy grapefruit right it was like real real grapefruit and I'm like oh okay and then it just tasted like the citrus blast and when we started talking like. A mixer, like a cocktail where it's soda water and like, you know, distilled grapefruit essence and things like that. It's like, oh, okay. It was a really fruity and tasty beer. Yeah, yeah. Greg kind of mentioned that it was kind of a triple. I I disagree. I think it was more of like a Belgian golden strong, maybe a little bit darker for that. Um, But it had that nice, big, solid malt base, much more so than a triple would. And then you add in all those flavorings and, and it was there. The flavorings were, you know, they were, they were unexpected and they were powerful and it certainly wasn't the best example of that, of that, of like a particular style of beer, but it was, it was something that, uh, that, you know, brought something to the table. It was interesting, which is, I think that's something I've said like four times tonight. Oh, they're supposed to be interesting. So right. that's good. Right. You know, for a six year old beer, it tasted really fresh. I think, I mean, it really like the, previous beers which had age on them they were all barley whiny old ale type impressions for me personally this one was a lot fresher this one was more effervescent this one had more fruit to it i'll give it that uh, yeah i like i liked it uh not as much as the last one but uh i don't know i feel it's kind of medicinal kind of like almost a dayquil kind of thing going on with a little bit of sweetness not like i don't know it's just very herbaceous and a, kind of a mirage, I don't know, like, I don't know. 
it's yeah, weird. I think, uh, like I said, I think that comes from the to, cardamom. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of, and I can't. There's a very clear image that I have in my mind, but I can't place the term for it because I've had this flavor before, not in beer, but I don't know where to place it. It's like medicinal, but it's not like medicine. I don't know. It's strange. Yep. I think this is the first beer we've had so far in the series where the adjunct ingredient ingredients have really dominated the base. And this is also the first one that's actually had, and again, it's a, you know, more of a triple, though it's maltier and older. It's also the one that's actually poured with a really strong head. Do you have anything, Zach? Yeah, as far as this beer goes, um, I, I preferred the aroma of it well over how I preferred the taste, which is surprising because... Uh, it was really citrusy on the on the nose, and that was that was nice and pleasant. Uh, when I tasted it, it did remind me a lot of gin, um, which I love gin. But for me, there was something, and I and I think what Andy was saying there with the medicinal characteristics, there was something with one of the adjuncts that was just not necessarily jiving with the rest of everything else that was in there, that was creating uh, a flavor that I just didn't care for quite as much. Um, all in all, it was a it was a fine beer, but it wasn't. It wasn't one of my favorites of the series so far. Did we talk about the risotto yet? Uh, <laughs> no, Erica made a delicious risotto, mushroom <laughs> risotto with um, lots of nice chunky vegetables, which Jeff didn't like as I, much. But uh, I, I will take back my comment. I mentioned that you know, if anything, the onions were big and crispy and and seemed out of place, but. More people around the table liked it than did not, so I I'm fine with it. <laughs> Wrong, accept it. <laughs> okay, so we're going on to 08, the 2008 Vertical Epic Ale, which is loading very slowly on my computer, but I'm gonna guess it's a Belgian dark something. Anyway, Belgian IPA. Ooh, this is gonna be interesting. Oh wow, interesting. Huh. This is 08? 08. Interesting story about 08. Back in uh, October <laughs> of 2010, I was out at a, a local beer distributor where I worked at in Uniontown, of all places. And I actually just went to grab a case of Nosferatu, which had just come out. And the date was actually October 12th, I believe. So, I mean, the 10 10 10 had only been the market for a matter of a couple of days. And that was mostly on the West Coast. So I'm kind of like rummaging through this beer distributor. The, cases upon cases in the, the craft section and I look in the back and I see an old dusty box and it says vertical epic on it and I'm thinking how there's no way in hell these guys have already gotten a case of the 10 10 10 I mean it just came out a couple of days ago so I, go, I actually I wipe the dust off of it and it's a case of 888 and uh, I said to the the guy behind the register I was like how how, how much is that case of vertical epic there he goes uh, 35 bucks <laughs> I was you sure he goes, yeah. I was like, better should probably better check on that. So he goes in his little book. He's flipping through pages, and he goes, yeah, it's thirty-five bucks. I was like, I'll, I'll take it. Thirty-five dollar case of two-year-old vertical epic. And that was a, a 12, 12 case, right? Because that was right after they changed the law where you could actually buy. Yeah. yeah. So when the eight 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 came out, you had to buy two of them at a beer distributor, right? Because twelve twenty-two ounce bottles wasn't a case of beer. But in 2010, it was. <laughs> okay, yeah. But it was, uh, it was really weird to see that. And um, so I got the case of Nosferatu and the case of the 88. 
Now, I mean, it had been sitting on the floor of this distributor for two years, so I it really it wasn't great, but uh, it was it was a nice find. I mean, still make some money with that on eBay. Yeah, I can, I, it's the first thing that came to my mind. I actually looked on eBay, see how much every bottle was uh, was worth. Um, I didn't sell any of them. I kept them all, but. Yeah, it was just really weird to see that. Yeah, every once in a while, like, I'll see old beers at the beer distributor. Like, it's really a gamble whether it's going to be a gem or not, right? Because most beer distributors don't have any air conditioning, let alone, you know, good temperature control. Right. So it wasn't, I mean, I said I, after having it, it wasn't in the best of conditions, but it was, it was $35. Might not invest a lot in mm-hmm. it. It was supposed to what? I mean, those cases were probably 100 no, I think they were like 90 at the time. Like the yeah, 10 probably. came out Where was around 90. Uh, this is a little beer distributor out in Uniontown. So those same bottles at the time were selling for $15 a piece at, at least. our bottle shops yeah. locally. So, I mean, yeah, you made a steal on it. Right. <laughs> All right, well, right. Let's try uh, 07, or sorry, 08, and we'll see how, uh, how it compares to the dusty one in the corner of the beer distributor. All right, so we just finished, what was it, the 888? Yeah, so this is the first one where we have a real kind of uh, not consensus in the room because uh, there are people who definitely don't like it and people who definitely like it. I think, Jeff, you and I are on the side of people who, who like it. Uh, it, it. It has, um, without being overly bitter, uh, it, it kind of, and without it getting the kind of the spicy notes you might expect in Belgian IPA, there's a lot of really fruity, uh, fruity esters coming through, lots, lots of these... I, I think I, I pulled out like passion fruit and kiwi. That that's mm-hmm. what's coming to mind. Something really tropical. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm tasting kind of like a peri type uh, front on it, but then the hops are not not they're pretty sharp still. I mean, they're they're not well maybe sharp's not the right word, but they haven't faded. They're not muddy yet, and and I'm enjoying this one a lot. While it's not like one of my favorites, like a raging bitch or something like that, it it is. Uh, I don't know where I'm at. I thought I was going somewhere. I'm not. I, well, uh, so Andy, you had the most negative comment about this one. Tell uh, us why. I mean, number one, I hate the style, and even fresh, I would probably hate it. I feel that nothing clashes more than Belgian yeast in, in hop character. Even though I was part of a beer that was pretty much the same thing, but uh, um, it just to me, I think. I mean, I certainly get hops in the aroma but I think that's more of an oxidized sweetness from the syrups that are used in it and the malt than anything. Uh, to me it's for the hops that are in it I, I don't get those kind of characteristics that I would get. To me I just think it's kind of faded into just a sweet oxidized mellow mess. Hops by the way are Antonym, Amarillo, and Simcoe. Now Tim you had similar opinions? Yeah I just I just really not a fan of the style um with this one, I don't. It's I just don't get a lot of the hops. Mostly, I kind of get the candy sweetness that that Belgian candy sugar more than anything. Uh, Zach or Mike, Erica, nothing. All right, I guess we go on. Do you have the uh, stats for the nine 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 yet? Give me one second. The nine 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 is a beer. There you go. I'll fill you in the stats when we come back. Okay, so the 09 is, excuse me, 09 is their uh, adjunct city beer. It's, it's full full of stuff. The grain bill is just uh, so it's a bunch of stuff. Uh, pale malt, uh, 75 to 80 degree crystal malt, chocolate malt, 
Belgian aromatic malt, dark candy sugar, black malt, carafa malt. Uh, that's all added with the adjuncts of tangerine peel and vanilla bean. And then when it is pitched with the Belgian yeast, it is aged with French oak chips. That's a lot. And you can taste it. You can taste there's a lot going on in this beer, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I think consensus around the table, or near consensus around the table, is that there's a lot going on in there, right? It's, people are going all different directions. And actually, as you drink it, your palate finds different things. You know, I started out finding like, oh, it's a wonderful cocoa, roasty stout. And then my last sip was like overwhelming grapefruit, like tang on the tongue, you know? So mm -hmm. it was like a crazy change from like, and it was only like a two ounce sip, right? And it was a crazy change from the beginning to the end for me. Tim. Um, would you say these beers, or this one right here, is, we've peaked, maybe? Uh, I, I think so. Do you, are you saying you, you like this one the best? Um, that's what I like the best. I mean, that's just a personal style thing, and it's really not mine, but it's, I, just, I guess, the least amount of flaws that we've seen to this point. Yeah, the oxidation, I feel, is probably the most subtle that we've had. It's certainly still there, but I think, I mean, very clearly the carbonation is still there. You know, it still has a head on it through, you know, five, ten minutes of tasting it. I think it has the the least detrimental things going for it in terms of the other beers where we're, I felt very oxidized compared to this one. So you don't feel you don't feel like a, a res like I'm getting like a big deep resiny stuff from the oak that's kind of pu pulling me off of the beer. It's it's adding a a bunch of this sort of licorice anise notes, um, and then it's also just it's sort of staying on my tongue and laying there. And you're not feeling that? Uh, no, I think it's a very very dry beer. Um, I think it was the 07 that I thought was very dry as well. I think it just it dissipates very quickly, and I, I definitely get a strong, you know, I could see resiny oak kind of characteristic. Definitely get licorice, but I think it finishes very, very dry and quick, and there's a lot of complexity. It's not cut by the, the carbonation or the dryness or the oak in it. I agree with you, Greg. I think, I again, I get that resiny. It just, uh, you know, through the taste, it starts off oaky vanilla, and then it's kind of just licorice cocoa and it kind of just stays there forever it seems like anyone else one of the things that i pick up is this this is the the first of the beers where the malt character really stands through the oxidation has really fallen back to the background it's still slightly old but it's a uh, it's getting to the point where it's kind of sort of a fresh beer you you get a lot more kind of chocolate malts and and different malt characteristics that you really haven't been been able to distinguish in a lot of the earlier beers. One of the things that I've noticed about this beer is that this has been my most fun beer to drink so far because kind of like what you're talking about, Jeff, the the flavors have changed just from the time we've opened the bottle. Where at first I was drinking it and I was thinking it was really unbalanced and I was getting a lot of roasty characteristics and I had wished there was more chocolate. And the next drink I had, it was chocolatey. And now my overwhelming flavor that I'm pulling out of it is I, I can't think of anything else but raisins. I'm just getting really, like, very, very raisiny sips every single time now. So it's, it's funny how it changes in such a short period of time, but it's been a, you know, a four-ounce sample has given me, like, 12 or 13 different flavors there. And from person to person, because, I mean, you know, licorice uh, and resin, and he said... Uh, he said raisin, and Jeff said uh, grapefruit. At the end, it was crazy yeah, grapefruit. And so, yeah, so, definitely a lot going on with this beer. So, uh, 
I, I, I think that the consensus is that there's really no consensus, and you give it a shot <laughs> if, if you can find it. Yeah. All right. So now we're all the way up to 2010. So 2010 Yay. is a Belgian strong pale, and uh, it has this has flowers in it, dried chamomile flowers, triticale. I don't know what that is, and Belgian am, amber candy sugar. This. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Triticale is uh, it's a grain. It's uh, I think it's a gluten-free grain, actually. And then this is also they use just pressed muscat, Gewurztraminer, and semi-long grapes. I don't know the quite how to pronounce. Are you these. saying words over there, Greg? Yes, these are actual <laughs> types of grapes that, that that came from their friends at South Coast Winery. So this is the one that has uh, all the different types of grapes in it. This is the first one I've noticed with a price tag still on it. This one was $14.95. Pittsburgh money. Two years ago. Three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this has this beer has an interesting story behind it because apparently they wanted to do something with Triticale at first, and they wanted to do a quadruple. And they, the only reason they really wanted to do this was because they wanted to make a beer that they could call Quadro Triticale, which no one is recognizing, but... I wouldn't have recognized it either unless they pointed it out, but it's actually a reference to uh, the Star Trek episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. This was the grain the Tribbles were eating. It was Quadro Triticale, so it would have been a little Star Trek beer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but instead, they decided to do this one, which is a weird combination of beer and wine. It has Palmont Flake Triticale and Amber Candy Sugar. They describe Triticale as a uh, cross between wheat and rye, but Mike, you had sort of a better explanation. I wouldn't call it a better explanation. I'm familiar with the grain. It is kind of an alternative grain. I, I don't know if it's gluten-free or not, but it's kind of lumped into that that you know quadrant of, of alternative grains if you're looking for a blend of grains that includes something other than just wheat, rye, and barley. This uh, triticale is something to go for. These pearl hops, not that much of them. Uh, really, it's only getting at about 45 IBU. That's for a stone beer. That's exceptionally low. And uh, they use the Belgian uh, L strain. But they also add here, this is interesting, I think, because we, talk, we, we talked a little bit about the, the grape juices that they added. Uh, but they also add 4.4 grams per gallon of dried whole chamomile flowers. And I think that adds as a bridge. I think that acts as a bridge between the, the beer part, you know, sort of the, the, the malty components and then the, the wine components that you get at the end. And like I said, the, the, they added 35% Gewürztraminer. I'm not going to pronounce that right. 30% uh, Muscat Canelli, 20% Sauvignon Blanc, and 50% Riesling. It's just the juice. Uh, that they added to the beer after, um, I think it was after fermentation. Yeah. So, interesting. What do you guys think? Uh, you know, for me personally, it was, I enjoyed it. it, it a lot of uh, fruit juices in there. It, it was dry, a little bit tart. Um, I've forgotten what I think, actually. <laughs> but uh, overall impression was I, this one was really drinkable. It was quite the departure from all the previous Vertical Epic beers, I think. I mean, the other ones yeah. had some 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 citrus to it or whatnot. But this one with the grape juice, and it may be a standalone, but it was quite a departure, I think, from the other stone Vertical Epics. Two quick things I'd like to point out. First of all, they added unsulfided juice to uh, ensure that fermentation was exceeded and they did so they did add the juice at the height of fermentation rather than afterwards so. 
So they christened it. Yeah, I mean, I knew going into this, just because I've recently had a bottle of this, that it, it's it's my favorite Vertical Epic beer. Um, and actually, in tasting it just recently, I kind of was trying to think of what it's similar to. And it almost reminds me of Midas Touch, in, in a respect, because of the... And I think it is because of the Muscat grape uh, that's in there. But you're right with the chamomile, is that that really acts as a bridge. Because without that, it really would be even though there's two dimensions, it would be one-dimensional. That, that chamomile brings it together. It really is the combining force there. Um, and, and it's funny, because I'm not that big of like a white wine drinker. In fact, if I do drink wine, I always drink red wine. But this just seems to be the perfect blend for me, and I, I absolutely love this, this particular uh, year, the vintage of the Vertical Epic. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty pretty awesome beer, pretty spectacular uh, specimen. Uh, any thoughts, uh, Tim? I agree exactly with what Zach said. It's my favorite of the series by far. Again, I'm not a big wine drinker. When I drink wine, I drink red wine. But uh, kind of the white wine brings a sweetness that's a little bit different than you know the malty sweetness we've had with every other beer. And I've actually been eating some white chocolate with it side by side, and it just it goes really really well together. Now, Eddie. What Tim said. What Tim said. <laughs> I don't think you got your full opinion out. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I when I first try, when I first tasted it, it, it brought back that flavor memory of like a Gewurztraminer, which is a kind of a sweet German wine, and it was that crossed with the beer, and and both really both really came out, and you know, I, I'm not sure that I got the the chamomile or the impact the impact that that had like Greg did, but uh, but definitely it was it was kind of part beer part wine. It was an interesting uh, juxtaposition, really. It was it was I I enjoyed it. <laughs> this was the strongest of the night so far at 9.5. You know, with both wrong. Zach and Tim, you know, I don't always drink white wine, but when I do, I drink Stone Vertical Epic for 2011. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, number 11, the, the panel. Okay, so we are back with the 10, 10, 10, or sorry, the, the 11, 11, 11. It says 10 to 10 at the top of the page. They should really fix that. <laughs> this is uh, one strange, interesting, and uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic beer. Yes. It, so let's go on to here's the grain bill. Grain bill is not going to be that impressive compared to what's coming next. So pale malt, light Munich malt, special B, Carabohemian, and Crystal. Uh, but then, okay, so we get into the hops. Uh, Warrior and Pearl, but wait, in the Whirlpool they add New Zealand Pacific Jade Hot Pellets, UK Target Hot Pellets, and here's where it gets really fascinating. New Mexico Hatch Mild Green Chilies, which were dried and crushed, and Crushed Cinnamon Sticks. And that's, it's just wild. And then the yeast that they use is a Y-Yeast 3220 Flanders Golden Strain, which they picked because it produces a lot of banana esters, which they said they found uh, blended well with the cinnamon flavors. Now, I'm not getting so much banana here, but I am getting a lot of chili, but mm. not hot chili. You really detect sort of the flavor of the chili without any of the, the spice. Yeah, or, I mean, if there's any spice at all, it's, it's mild. You're just getting pepper flavor, good pepper flavor almost not chipotle but like a, a grilled hatch chili is really what you're tasting mm-hmm. here the the flanders yeast strain is almost a misnomer whenever you hear flanders you're thinking like oh it's rosalera it's it's big it's tart it's lactic and that doesn't carry through the beer here i'm not really sure how it comes into play 
but it doesn't turn it into a Rodenbach. So don't don't expect Rodenbach. Yeah. Um, but man, is this fantastic! The the pepper flavor just steals the show. I would have thought I had the eleven before, but I don't remember tasting this beer ever. I just the cinnamon helps with the sweetness too, because I think it, would, it might be overtly sweet if it didn't have that cinnamon note uh, kicking there at the bottom, just sort of just dragging it down a little bit. Uh, any other thoughts, uh, Zach? Yeah, I'm more intrigued with after you had kind of gone over the ingredients list, like how they make the decisions to use crushed cinnamon stick as opposed to shaved or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. like, and that really does make a, a big deal in it because, I mean, the cinnamon's not overpowering. And maybe that's how, you know, they thought, well, if we crush it, you know, it's not going to become the flavor of the beer, which they certainly wouldn't have wanted because it does pair so well with the peppers that are in there. So it's just a really well thought out beer, and it makes, like, of drinking the vintage so far, having this one really lets you appreciate, like, how Stone has kind of grown as a brewing company. They've kind of learned over time, and they're, they're starting to incorporate the things that they're learning all into this beer. And, and this is the perfect example of it, because everything that they've done with this beer seems to be spot on. Um, you're, you're right, as far as the Flanders characteristics go, I was surprised to hear that, because... You know, if anything, it'd be like a more like an old brune or something like that. But it's not nearly still sour enough or lactic enough or anything like that. But um, I do think that it's pretty cool that they're experimenting with different yeasts because Stone traditionally uses a uh, just like a dry English yeast for most batches. And this was a nice step in the other direction, but still it doesn't take you where you think you're going to go whenever you see or hear what's on the ingredient list there. So it's pretty cool. It's a good beer. Very, very good beer. Eddie, thoughts? Uh, by far, it's my favorite beer that we've had thus far. Uh, just not, you know, only because it's one of the fresher examples, but I think in terms of, of flavors, what you get um, with the, the heat from the chili, but the, the spiciness of the the cinnamon and the finish and then also you get these kind of nice fruity banana esters from the yeast and they all just complement each other so well um i think it's the most complex uh that we've had thus far and it's definitely by far my favorite i mean on paper i hate this beer i think it's a terrible beer but tasting it here i think it's fantastic so i'm wondering is it cinnamon or is it cassia (laughs) you know probably cassia right right because probably not verum Right. Greg and I have actually compared ground cinnamon, which is cassia, versus real cinnamon. And there's a pretty big difference in flavor. And, you know, because people aren't careful enough to label what they're having. Excuse me. You never know what you're actually getting. You're almost always getting cassia. Right. Almost always. You're pointing the microphone at me as if I had something to add. No, I... Come on, Mike. Talk. (laughs) I like the... I I really like the pepper component. It really came out for me. Um, There was... I I kind of agree with Andy. This is probably the best of the beers we've had. It's very... It's a a nice beer with a lot of interesting flavors, but um, still still a nice, fresh quality. Very, very little, if, if any, oxidation. It was... It was a quality beer. There are some who call him Tim. Good uh, Monty Python reference there. I like that. Um, personally, I'm, I've never been a fan of, of just the, the flavor with peppers, and that 
I think just for that reason, it just kind of clouds everything else for me. Like that just, for my palate, that just overpowers everything else. So I just kind of get the the pepper and cinnamon, and that's about it. Um, it's a fine beer. It just I'm just not a fan of it. I'm gonna buy Tim a Cave Creek chili beer for his birthday. <laughs> I think that's the last thing you want, based on what you told me. So you might think there's only one beer left, but there is two. Zach brought us a barrel aged version of the Eleven, and that'll be the next beer. So we are trying the white wine aged version of this uh, Vertical Epic 11. And I find it to be a little overpowering. I think the the, the, the white wine dims the, the pepper notes and uh, really dims the cinnamon notes. And some of the Flanders things are kind of turned up a little bit. I think we talked about a little bit mm-hmm. of, of Brett showing up or something like that showing up. But I, I find that it, it's not... N- not nearly as good as the eleven is just right off the batch. They're they're really different beers. I'm having a hard time figuring out which one's better because I loved how the peppers were implemented in the first beer. The the stainless steel twenty eleven. The uh white wine barrel age twenty eleven doesn't have an apparent pepper flavor to me, but the the Rosalaire blend they use, especially the bre- the bread part of it, is really amped up, and you can really taste that wildness. It's a great breadiness, a l- dry, leathery, a little bit dusty. You get that flavor. I mean, it, it, it's which decent. one do I think it, is better? But I mean, like it's decent if you're going for if you're looking for like a Flanders thing like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's got a decent sort of white whiny Flanders character, which is different and interesting. But if you're comparing the two, right, the, the pepper is absolutely better in my mind. I, I think you're right. I. I I hate it. It's almost a hard luck loser for me because I like them both. But and I wish I didn't have to put them head to head, right? But I think really the straight pepper in the stainless steel is, is a better beer than the one in the barrels. But well, the beauty I really about like this, the barrel one too. The beauty about this is that we don't have to have our own opinions. We can yes, ask we have a bunch people. of other people. So, Erica, you haven't talked for a while. <laughs> um, I don't know which one I like better because just like you said, I feel like. They are really different. Um, it's weird to try to compare them because the other one I really got the chilies, and this one I'm not getting the chilies, but I'm getting like the white wine barrel. And I don't know. It's really hard to compare and contrast them. So I guess we'll see what other people have pick to say. a favorite. You have to. Um, I guess because I am not a big fan of chilies and beers. Um, I did like the other one because it wasn't really like spicy like on my palate. But I think I'm gonna have to go with the one that was. Aged in the wine barrels. Well, opposite side of the table, Andy. Uh, I like the first one. I feel that the kind of the wine character muddied up and kind of made it. I don't know if I would use the word overly complex, but kind of took some of the overwhelmed maybe from yeah from the other uh, ingredients in the beer. So I think the the first beer definitely <laughs> is my personal preference. They're not bad beers by any stretch between the either one of them, but uh, I definitely prefer the first one. I agree with Andy. I think the first one was definitely a better beer. In the in the second one, the white wine barrel really stood out. I got more of the uh, more of the previous kind of Gewurztraminer beer that we had tried that we had sampled. I got more of that uh, than the previous beer, where I got a lot of complex chili flavor and there was just a lot more to it. And and the white the the white wine barrel aged beer was just. It it had it had too much going on to discern much of anything, and it ended up as a kind of muddy white wine mess. 
Actually, Zach, you mentioned on the label for the barrel-aged one, they added more chilies to the barrel-aged one. They added some Anaheim chilies, right? I think that's what yeah, you said. Yeah, that's right. The, the barrel said aged, or the bottle said aged with Anaheim chilies and uh, in white wine barrels. Um, I, I, I actually liked the original one better than the aged in wine barrels version. Um, it makes me interested to find out their ideas about why they chose this particular vertical epic beer to to do a, a re-aging in, in a barrel form. Is it more just because they had more of it at the time they started their barrel program? Or was it that they think that this beer could have uh, benefited from the barrel aging? Because I, I don't think that the barrel aging took away from it at all, but the original beer still to me was just a little bit better and just a little bit more uh even a little bit more complex the white wine like like mike said it muddied it down a little bit it just kind of made it more one-dimensional the original was so complex and had so much going on there where the white wine kind of really took over a lot in the second version this is the only one that they have white wine aged, but the uh 07 was red wine aged. they had a red wine aged. the 08 had a bourbon barrel aged, and the 09 had a red wine age um so this is not the only one that they did. The 08 was with. the citrusy one, right? And they put that in bourbon barrels? Yeah. That's strange. Huh. It's yeah. a weird one. I, I'd have to think back to what the 08 one, which uh, which one that was. Was that the, like the triple? Was that the... I think so, yes. Yeah, I think so. That was the one Tim was telling the story about how he got it on discount, oh, right? Yeah, so that was Belgian the... IPA. Belgian IPA. Belgian oh, IPA in right. bourbon barrels. Yeah, that's really bizarre. That I would be, that would be bizarre. Hmm. Tim, what do you think of this one? Um, this one, I I guess I liked it more because the the peppers were you know knocked down a little bit by the the wine barrels. But it was interesting when it first poured it, I got kind of the funkiness that I guess came with the barrel, and I almost got like the banana clove, but more so it was almost literally like banana laffy taffy aroma. Yes. And now that it's kind of warmed up, that's kind of faded, and the peppers are coming back. But yeah, it's um again then it's warm, but it's got uh, a little bit muddy. Not bad, but it's. I'd probably still take it over the other one, I think. Just Tim really okay. hates peppers. <laughs> well, you know, not everybody can like peppers, but we are on to our final beer of the night, the 1212 Vertical Epic, which has in it some very interesting spices, cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, clove, orange peel, and rose hips. So almost nothing is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, no. All right. It's Reinhardt's Kaboot. Okay, so this final beer is... Uh, in the style of a tra- they say a, a traditional Belgian Noel beer, which I assume was a Christmas beer, which we all assume was a Christmas beer, based on the uh, spicing, which is redonkulous. It has cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, clove, orange peel, rose hips, which are rose fruits, as we discovered. Now, this just tastes like a spice bomb. It is an interesting way to end the evening because the rest of the beers all had, or at least tried, it seemed to have some subtle points to it and there's no subtlety here it's just uh, we're giving you a whole bunch of clove and it's, it's, it's I, like they, they poured chinese five spice into their beer. Yeah, i think we categorically decided that this was not the way to end the vertical epic yeah you know we're thinking vertical epic they want to brew a beer that's going to be drank within a few months because people are doing these vertical tastings and this beer might be interesting in five years but that's not when it's supposed to be drank and uh it tastes like a a clove tam you know it's just crazy spicy and uh it's not what it should have been not what we were expecting and i'm gonna have to give it up 
<laughs> Jeff's signature. Okay, so let's go around the room and see uh, what you guys thought. Yeah, this is the first one I think we've I've seen a lot of not empty glasses. Um, big spice bomb, but mostly not even a balance of a lot of spices, just mostly clove, really. And it's I don't know. I yeah, not a fan <laughs> at all. It tastes like Santa Claus. You've had Santa Claus before? <laughs> he gets around. <laughs> Good or bad to know, I'm not sure. Yeah. He's been in Andy's chimney. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I mean it's definitely it's definitely a spice bomb. You get uh you, you get a lot of clove, a lot of cinnamon, a lot of a lot of all those all, all those kind of Christmas beer type spices and it's I agree, it's to the point of being overpowering. It's it's not it's not a good beer. It may be a good beer later, but but at the moment, it's just too overpowering. Well, I think it tastes more like Mrs. Claus. Oh. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean here here <laughs> here's the problem with this beer. Um, I don't mind the beer so much is that I don't like where they put it in the vertical epic tasting. I think it was an awful ending of the series. I had this beer earlier this year, and I remember it was around Christmas time, and it was festive at the time, and it, it kind of made sense. But after drinking 12 of these beers back-to-back, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, we kind of went from starting off with Belgian Darks to Belgian Pales to Belgian IPAs to wine-infused beers and now all of a sudden we end with a spiced christmas beer it, it just it doesn't fit the pattern um in and of itself it would have been a fine beer for this season but it, it made no sense with the rest of the beers okay so we've had uh 10 beers tonight nine of them directly on the line trust me we talked to stone getting your hands on an o2 is pretty much impossible they made like 300 cases of them or something ridiculous so we had pretty much as good a vertical epic tasting as you can get to so the question is for everybody for the entire panel what was i mean what what did you like the most what did you dislike the most and any thoughts you have about this sort of process yeah the thoughts about the process i would like to comment is this a good endeavor or is it just marketing, right? Is it just, hey, let's put out a beer one year, one month, and one day later, and people will buy the shit. Yeah. You know, now, was this a worthwhile process? Now, it definitely was marketing, but the question is, was it just marketing? So that's where we go. And let's go to Andy first. Uh, I definitely feel it's just marketing. Uh, to me, there's really no cohesion or progression between everything that we've had. It's just kind of like, hey, let's make something silly. And, you know, there are certainly other beers that are standouts that I think are experiments that ended up working, but I don't think there seems to be a lot of thought or research into what they're going to do. And the fact that, I, I mean, I've always known of this series, but I never thought that everything would be all Belgian, like Dark Strong or Belgian Pale or what have you. And it just, to me, I, I would have preferred to see a, a lot more variety in terms of styles, because especially with a Belgian beer, it just got lost in a couple of years, and I don't know, I thought it was purely marketing. I feel like it was uh, <laughs> very marketing, too, and I've been a Stone fan for a very, very long time, and it's it's sad for... I, I'm not disappointed at all. I, I 
with the ending I was. Um, but I, I would have actually thought it had been kind of a cool thing to do. Like, if they're going to do it like the way that they did, where every beer kind of was its own thing, and you're just supposed to meant to drink them in a order, it would have been kind of cool if they had a story that you're supposed to follow as you drink the beer. I mean, something like that. Like, something like that would have gotten me more involved into it. Like, you kind of read a story, and each beer kind of tells a different tale. Or that would have been it would have made more sense to me but from going between style to style and I, I, I just didn't get it it didn't all come together for me at the end there um, but it would have been cooler I mean especially like typically you think in a vertical tasting you're going to drink the same beer just each one brewed a different year from each other so you can taste the differences in age um, with this, that didn't happen, so there should have been something that guided you along the way to make you feel like you're starting at the beginning and finishing at the end, and in that portion of it, I felt, uh, came up short a little bit, but all in all, I mean, the majority of the beers I thought were really good, um, if we're gonna recap on which were the best, I, I, I think 10 and 11, hands down, kinda took it away from me, I mean, I, I think those two being a little bit more recent beers, and I don't think it had anything to do with that. Just the styles themselves and the beers themselves were, were better than the rest. Uh, yeah, like, same thing as these guys said, there just didn't seem, a lot of, seem to be a lot of cohesion between the beers or any kind of path that kind of guided you along. Um, obviously, it's not a true vertical where it's all the same beer and you kind of dip taste the difference in aging as whether it's, you know, this was a beer to enjoy all at the same time. So you think the idea was, would be to have made each beer where they would peak all at the same time. And it's almost like they kind of got them out of order. You know, there were some beers they did early they should have done later, and some beers they did later that they, they should have done earlier. And that didn't happen. And I, I don't know what the reasons are, the thoughts. Um, I mean, they're the professionals, I'm not. But uh, it almost be nice to even try to take another, take what they've learned from it or what everybody's learned or the opinions and then take another stab at it. I don't know how you do that now. And spend another decade doing yes. this thing. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of seemed like they they were just making random beers to make a to make an interesting random beer once a year, and not necessarily doing anything that 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 had any cohesive pattern to it. And and in that sense, it was very very different from from the type of tasting where every beer is the same beer and you're just tasting different years and. And yeah, some of them were good. Some of them didn't age very well at all. Some of them should have probably been aged before we got to them. And and at the end of the day, it was kind of it was kind of a mess. I mean, I, I'm glad that I made my way through it, but I would have preferred there to be some some method some methodology to the to the you know to the selection of which beer happened in which year. So kind of, I'm sorry. Um, no, I guess for my favorite, it was probably like the O10. Um, I guess something they could have done would have been, and I don't know though how well with the aging, but just maybe like taking a beer that was like trending that year and brewed that and saved that. And then, okay, like you could take all of these and kind of revisit, oh, this was trending in this year and this is when the IPAs were up. But I guess it's hard to do whenever you don't know. What kind of we we kind of tried to suppose that when we were talking, right? Because they use Grafa too. Like, oh, that was about the time that Black IPAs 
first started to hit the scene when they right. did their ninth anniversary and whatnot. So we and we tried to suppose that, but who knows what they were actually thinking? I don't know. I mean, definitely that the feeling around around the table is that it's very scatter shot, very uh, you know, just it was in all different directions. Uh, as as a snapshot, I think that Eric was right. You know, if you it might have been better if it was like this is a snapshot of what's brewing at the time, sort of a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Of of craft the craft brewing industry be really it might that might be really cool but then again how do you make it so it ages well and stuff like that that's a difficult question I but mean, I think that it's pretty clear that this was marketing first and foremost and the thought that goes into it came much later like yeah. oh oh we're we're on the deadline for making a beer let's figure something yeah. out I mean yeah definitely as a conclusion. It, it definitely seemed like there wasn't a story like Zach had said, where they, they, the whole thing, the whole time, vertical epic, you know, after 2012, 12, 2012, you drink these in a vertical epic, we're going to tell you a story. There was no story to be told. The oldest beers didn't last long enough. There were some good beers in the middle, but there was there was no pattern. And actually, if anything, it you could, if you were a beer archaeologist, you could find a little bit about the trending patterns of beer looking at these some of these things but maybe not as clearly as they could have been if that's what their prime focus was um favorite beers of the night has to be the chili one for me and i'm thinking something along the lines if i had to pick a top three it'd be the chili it would be the old 05 which was like this great barley wine and probably that oh i don't know it gets harder the third one like maybe the belgium ipa that they had do you got a top three, Mike? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I could pick out the top three. I could pick out the most interesting ones that kind of stuck with me in in terms of just being unique and different. Um, the the kind of part wine, part beer year. I don't actually. Ten. Yeah, that was that was ten. Yes, that was interesting because you got like a you got kind of a sweet wine combined with a beer that was really interesting. Um, the nothing else kind of stands out that I that I necessarily want to pull out is is one of my favorites. They were they were all interesting, you know. Uh, I I think definitely the second half of uh, of making your way through the fresher that they those were the fresher examples and and just for that reason alone were kind of better beers, a little bit less oxidation and and a little bit more of the characteristics that the brewer really intended to be there. Uh, for me personally, the ten was really, really enjoyable. Uh, it was very uh, above the rest of them. Uh, I think five was a good one. You mentioned Jeff it was pretty good too. Yeah, Ooh. I mean five. I mean with just numbers, it's hard to remember which beer yeah. was which. Right? Five, five is where I kind of noticed the turn. Yeah, I guess five, as far five as was like the three, but not this, not as stale. Right? It yeah. was a very rich and malty barley wine. Yeah, or I, th- old I think ale. the six was a good one too. Yeah, I mean, I think I said earlier that uh, 10 and 11 were probably my favorites. And as I'm thinking about it more, and I'm looking at the gargoyle on the capper for the cork, I kind of had wished, and this is going to be kind of an obscure reference for some, but I kind of had wished that the Vertical Epic series had followed... A lot of people uh, will, will kind of think about the uh, how the Wizard of Oz goes with 
Dark Side of the Moon. I would have wished that Vertical Epic would have gone with like a Tenacious D album and followed you from like Devil to Hell and that sort of thing. Like like that would have been I don't I don't know how you would have put that into a beer story or something like that, but just seeing the gargoyle, like that seems like the perfect combination of the two. But ten and eleven seem to be the best to me. Um there there were some gooder gooder. There were some uh gooder, How many have we had done. now? No, there was uh there, there were some good ones early on in the series, but but none of them really stood out until we got towards the end um, with the 10 and 11 that really like stuck with me as beers that I could probably drink or buy on a frequent basis. Uh, for me, 10 and 11, like everyone said, I think 11 is my clear-cut personal favorite. I think 10 is second, and then third I think is 6. That's the one with the cedar. Yeah, I think that those were my three. Yeah, I I'm gonna go uh, eleven, eight, and ten. I actually I really did like the Belgian pale ale a lot. I liked the flavors, and it's different from the rest of the room. But for me, that that was really good. Uh, I I enjoyed the tropical stuff that was going on there. Uh, And I don't know based on what I was saying, but other tastings of eight may not. That may have just been a special bottle Mm -hmm. of eight. Uh, that I may like, and that it may not come through to everybody else. But I really, I enjoyed the the eleven most with the pepper, the eight, and then the ten with the different wine stuff was really good. But uh, you know, I'm I'm agreement with Zachary. I mean, we we talk so much about talk telling a story with your beer and how important that is. Just you know, on a beer level, you know, the best beers that we, that, that we have are the ones that tell stories. And if you're going to do something like this, then try to. Try to try to make something cohesive out of it, and that way we you can get your head around it. Because right now the way it's set up, we can't get our head around it. It's just it's a mess. It's a it's a miasma. It's it's it's, it's a dream state. It's not a, it's not a story. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Final conclusion for me is uh, Vertical Epic was a marketing invention, and not a beer tasting invention, in my opinion. It just didn't come together at the end. It was good beers, but there was no point in drinking them in a vertical fashion. And I yet wish. we did that. No, I, I was gonna say I, I would have wished that we had a second set here right now where we could think back and and we had taken good notes, but we have them audibly, of course. But and and put them in the order that we think they should have gone in. Like, can anyone think back like what they think number twelve, like where it would have fallen in line had we had the ability to put them in our own order? It's hard because you know six through eight is kind of a blur to me. You know, it's like uh, I don't remember. I think it's a good point too. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and where you were, you just said six and eight or, or whatever is a blur. I mean, if those were a blur two hours ago, what was a blur to these guys ten years ago? So it's hard to think what they were thinking. I mean, plan plan your future ten years from now. That's not. It's, it's easier said than done. So I, I don't like hold anything against them for how this turned out. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's poor planning. It's just something very difficult. Maybe, maybe ten years ago, maybe where that where Stone was at. I don't know. That was just a kind of a difficult thing to do. It's especially with a, a brewery that's growing so quick to kind of make this plan stick to it and do it the way that everyone thought it should have been done. You know, I, ten I, years I, after. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's very hard to do, but I mean, I think we all agree that the twelve, 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 the Christmas spice bomb was not the way to end the vertical tasting, yeah, right? Yeah. And they only brewed that, you know, fifteen months ago. So yeah, yeah it kind of it, it does show there there wasn't a clear plan. I don't know if there's an excuse for that or not, but no, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a plan. All right, I guess I guess we can wrap this up, huh? Any final thoughts from anybody? 
I hate Stone. Stone's the worst. <laughs> They're so stupid. No. Stone's great. Visit Stone World Bistro and Gardens in San Diego, California. <laughs> is, it, is it Bistro and Gardens or Gardens and Bistro? World Bistro and Gardens. Okay. I'm going to make sure. We're hosting. Or, oh, sure, sure. We'll bring oh, thank you for here, hosting. So. You're trying to find a place yeah, to no, host. No. And, uh, thank you for hosting. <laughs> you made the bacon. I just brought beer to the city of my cellar. Um, yeah, Shubrew. Zillianople, Pennsylvania. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those small town main streets that are still in existence and they actually have small shops on the main street and uh hopefully you guys are part of the court of revitalizing downtown zayanople yeah i know hopefully um we hope to open sometime in june sometime this summer so come out and check us out also thanks to schuber thanks to everybody for being here for this and uh, we hope you will join us next time on craft beer radio where I'm Greg, I'm Jeff, and we'll see you next. I guess uh, Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit CraftBeerRadio.com for more information. See ya.